You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1920th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 17th of March 2023. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are Christian Jenner and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And we commence with headlines. Police hunt for thieves targeting top-end cars. Anger over ambulance staff racism allegations. Detectorist delight at Saxon gold find in field. Children appeal for safer road outside their school. Police hunt for thieves targeting top-end cars. Police are hunting mask thieves who they believe have been targeting high-value cars parked in residential streets. It's thought that the pair spotted scoping vehicles in Bury St Edmunds, Milton Hall and Red Lodge already stolen two cars and attempting to steal a further two using an electronic key scanning device to get into and start the vehicles. In Bury, a Mercedes was stolen on the Morton Hall estate while the men, wearing hats and face masks, were captured on CCTV and in doorbell footage prowling residential streets early on Sunday and Monday. Suffolk Police said the pair were spotted in Hazel Road, Sycamore Drive and Fresney Crescent, while on social media residents also reported sightings in Esky Road and Wilbur Close. It is believed the same men struck in Cardinal Close, sealing a black Mercedes GLC Coupe, a driveway at about 4am on Sunday. It's thought the perpetrators scanned the owner's car keys using a device outside the home and were able to get into the car and started. The owner, Gemma Keeley, said she was absolutely gutted. My two girls keep asking if the robbers are coming back. We've now got TV going out all round the house, she said. How can people just take something we've worked so hard for? We had so much stuff in there as well. My daughter's dance clothes, for car seats, sunglasses. It's all very upsetting. Other Cardinal Close residents spoke on social media about their doorbells recording footage of people snooping overnight. There were also a report of an attempted theft of a Range Rover at around 3.20 on Monday in Wilbur Close. Police believe the pair could be targeting vehicles across the country. Anger over ambulance staff racism allegations. Damning allegations of racism have been made by staff at the region's ambulance service, a new report has found. Mimicking monkey sounds, colleagues being asked to translate gobbledygook and blackface at a party were among the incidents reported by staff at the East of England Ambulance Service NHS Trust, known as EAST. Another comment claimed a call handler mutes calls from anyone whose first language is not English. 
At the end of last year, a specialist equality, diversity and inclusion consultancy was employed to produce a report on the service which covers Suffolk, Essex, Norfolk, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire. The Trust's executive team added, A zero tolerance for such poor behaviour was confirmed, and if repeated, appropriate and proportionate action would be taken. A three-year BME action and integrated inclusivity plan has been developed, which aims to increase levels of diversity, equality, fairness and transparency across the Trust. Tom Abel, East Chief Executive, said, we commissioned this independent research to better understand the working lives of our colleagues. It shows that there are some instances of inappropriate behaviour at the Trust, and I am sorry to all of my colleagues who have experienced this. I am clear that behaviour like this has no place in our Trust and will be eradicated. Detectorisk delights at Saxon gold find in field. A detectorist from Suffolk has spoken of his shock when he unearthed gold pyramid dating back to the Anglo-Saxon era in a field near Bury St Edmunds. Fraser Bailey from Bardwell was patrolling the field in Suffolk on January the 8th when he made the discovery. Mr Bailey said for a long time all he'd been turning up were aluminium cans and bits of rubbish. In this particular field I wasn't getting on very well. I got a signal and almost didn't bother digging it up because I thought, oh, it'd be another pile of rubbish. I did dig, however, and just four or five inches deep in the ground, I pulled out the pyramid. I just couldn't believe it. It was a bit of a shock, but I was over the moon. Mr Bailey had known what it was when he pulled it out. It was a similar one at Moises Hall Museum in Bury St Edmunds. The gold pyramid was used in Anglo-Saxon times on scabbards, where swords would be placed. One of these pyramids was sold a few years ago for a fee of £20,000. It is now with a museum who are examining the pyramid to get a more exact date, and once it has been recorded, it will go to a treasure inquest where museums can register their interest in acquiring it. If sold, Mr Bailey says he'll split the money 50-50 with the field owner. This is not the first thing that Mr Bailey has found. He also unearthed an Anglo-Saxon ring which is on display at Moises Hall. Children appeal for safer road outside their school. Concerned about the dangers posed by the road outside their primary school in Haverhill, pupils took matters into their own hands by trying to make things safer. About 150 letters were sent out by the children, ranging from year two upwards, at the Clements Primary Academy in Greenfields Way, to the Mayor of Haverhill, Councillor Bruce Davidson, and MP Matt Hancock. Students asked Councillor Davidson and Mr Hancock if they could help bring about road safety improvements, including a school road crossing assistant and a 20 mile an hour speed limit. It led to Councillor Davidson, along with Haverhill Suffolk County Councillor Heike Sowa, whom he invited to join him at the school after receiving the letters, visiting the school on Monday to discuss with the pupils what can be done. Mr Hancock was unable to attend. Vicky Hogg, the school's head teacher, said, We have been concerned about road safety outside the school for the last few years. 
The school council decided that the road safety wasn't good enough and so all our class wrote letters to Haverhill Mayor and to our MP. Suggestions included seeing a lollipop person reinstated, the speed limit reduced to 20 miles an hour and any other traffic calming that may help. We were pleased to have local councillors attend a school assembly to discuss the issue. And we are incredibly proud of the passion shown by our pupils in trying to bring about improvements outside their school. Mrs Hogg added, There have not been any collisions, but there are always a lot of our children just stepping out in front of the parked cars. We have staff at the front and the back gate, but there are just so many parked cars, and cars that come fast along Greenfield's way. It's just dangerous. Now for some general news. Campaigners and members of Parliament have welcomed the great news that the Government has agreed to review plans to build 110 miles of 50 metre high pylons across the Suffolk and Essex countryside. South Suffolk MP James Cartledge has announced the review by electricity firm National Grid's electricity supply operator, ESO, will consider offshore routes as a possible alternative to routing pylons through rural areas. In January, Energy and Climate Minister Graham Stewart said a review was not the best approach, much to the annoyance of campaigners, but there now appears to have been a U-turn. Opponents, including the Essex, Suffolk, Norfolk Pylons Group, have slammed the structure as monstrosities and said the countryside would become unrecognisable as land was given to substations and converter stations. Instead, they've called for offshore power lines to be routed along the seabed. But on Thursday, Rosie Pearson, head of Essex, Suffolk and Norfolk Pylons, said it's great because it sounds like they've listened and they're looking at a whole variety of options and trying to do a coordinated approach with offshore as one of the options. Delight at news of store. Housing estate residents have expressed their excitement that a convenience store is planned to open there, but some raised concerns over a possible takeaway next door. Last week, the Very Free Press reported that Sainsbury's had been mentioned within documents for an application for a community hub area on the Lark Grange development in Bury St Edmunds. The application by LSP Developments Limited is for the local centre on the wider housing estate at Lark Grange Morton Hall near the Flying Fortress pub. The plans, submitted to West Suffolk Council, set out the details for the construction of this area, which would include a single building to house two retail units, plus servicing yard, parking spaces and landscaping. The noise assessment submitted with the application says the intention is the larger main retail unit will be used as a convenience store operated by Sainsbury's. It adds that the second, smaller retail unit will be operated by a hot food vendor, with both intended to operate between 7 o'clock in the morning and 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week. Commenting on a Facebook group for Lark Grange, Nikki Harvey said it was brilliant news. Very happy. The nearest shop is half an hour's walk away. Not everybody drives. Some of us here are disabled and can't walk very far, she said. Emily Morris added, 
looking forward to them opening and the pub. Mixed reaction to Trust's half-term extension plan. An Academy Trust's proposal to increase the October half-term break by a week across all of its schools has been a talking point with mixed reaction from parents. Unity Schools Partnership is asking parents and carers what they think of its proposal to extend the October half-term at the schools, which include about 30 in Suffolk. This includes Berry St Edmunds County High School, Sybil Andrews Academy, Abbots Green Academy and Tollgate Primary School, all in Berry. Each school has been asked how to consider they will make up the time during the rest of the academic year. Abbots Green is proposing to add 10 minutes to the end of each school day, while County High School is suggesting adding 5 minutes to the start and 5 minutes to the end. Nikki Harvey who has children at two Unity schools, said, It's not fair on parents who now have to find extra time off work when it's hard enough already. With the recent cost of living crisis, people can't afford more time off, nor can some families afford the extra costs of having the children at home extra days a week. She also mentioned the impact on vulnerable children for whom school is an escape, and added for some youngsters, a school meal is the only one they get a day. Developer under fire over welfare of local residents. Residents living near a housing construction site have accused the company behind it of ignoring their welfare. The residents claim Hopkins Homes is breaking rules set out in a construction management plan since work started on 300 homes off Berry Road in Woolpit in December last year. These include HGVs driving through the village, unsociable working hours and also leaving the road running past in an appalling state. The weight limit in the village is seven and a half tonnes and yet some days several aggregate lorries and low loaders will pass through, said resident Ken Sibley. The management plan originally stated work should begin at 8am. This was changed without consultation to 7.30am and sometimes work has started at 6am, which involves a considerable amount of noise. There are around 200 residents living close to the development this affects. The lorries also leave an area of Berry Road in an appalling state with mud, which leaves our cars filthy. This month, nearby residents have been told we will lose power for a day while homes are connected and there doesn't seem to be any support for residents, many of whom, whom are elderly and vulnerable. We just want Hopkins Homes to consider the welfare of nearby and village residents. Couple welcome call for better research funding. An Elmswell couple whose son died from a rare brain tumour, have welcomed a new report demanding urgent action to help those affected by the disease. Matthew and Nellie Crick's son, Harry, was diagnosed with a grade 4 embryonal tumour with a multilayer rosettes in December 2020 after becoming unwell with a cold and unsteady on his feet. Despite undergoing two craniotomies, chemotherapy and proton beam therapy in Germany, Harry died in October aged 2021, aged two. A report by the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Blain Tumours 
called Pathway to Cure, Breaking Down the Barriers, was published and launched last week at a reception jointly hosted by the Brain Tumour Research and the Tessa Jowell Brain Cancer Mission. The report criticises the current funding system for research as unfit for purpose and claimed patients and families continued to be let down despite millions of pounds promised. It also raises issues in the treatment of terminally ill children denied access to last resort clinical trials despite their parents' wishes. Council calls on residents to claim fuel payments. Residents who heat their homes using alternative methods of fuels to the gas mains and who haven't already received a £200 payment are being encouraged to claim the government funding. The Alternative Fuel Payment, AFP, government scheme offers payments of £200 to households that use alternative fuels to the gas grid as their main source of heating. This includes those using tank or bottled gas, liquid petroleum gas, LPG, heating oil, wood or other solid fuel in their properties. Residents can claim for both the AFP alternative funding and the £400 Energy Bill Support Scheme, EBSS. Alternative funding scheme that launched last week, providing they meet the government's criteria and have not already been paid these. Councillor Sarah Broughton, Cabinet Member for Resources and Property at West Suffolk Council said, both of the alternative fuel payments and the energy bill support schemes are about getting money out to help households, including vulnerable residents, with their increased energy costs. We are encouraging residents who think they are eligible for either, or indeed both of these schemes, to claim at the government website. There is a commitment to have a social club at a town venue a charity director has said, as he also revealed plans to improve the building. Westbury Social Club announced with much sadness last week that the club in Oliver Road on the Westley Estate in Berries and Edmonds had ceased trading with immediate effect after more than 40 years. Westbury Social Club Limited was approached for comment about why it had ended. The club was the main tenant of Westbury Centre Charity which runs the Westbury Community Centre and owns the building. Martin Smith, the director and trustee of the Westbury Centre charity, confirmed to the Berry Free Press that there was no threat to the community centre. He added that the main hall would undergo refurbishment, which would see the creation of some snug seating areas, the cafe would have a new kitchen fitted, and the social club bar would also be revamped. Currently, the bar and the meeting part of the social club is closed, Mr Smith said, there will be a formal social club there, probably something like the Westbury Community Centre and the Social Club. We will bring the whole lot together. There is no doubt in our mind the bar won't be closed for long. It's got to be open. It's there for the community. Launch of Fair Trade Directory a Bury St Edmunds group with a mission to raise awareness of the importance of fair trade has created a new directory. The Bury St Edmunds Fair Trade Partnership has launched its most recent leaflet, which details all the businesses in the town which support fair trade. 
Pam Pitts, who has been involved in the partnership since it started in 2015, said, As part of the Fair Trade Partnership, when we renew the town's fair trade status, we have to give evidence that we're promoting fair trade in the town. We thought the director would be a good means of doing that. But obviously, over the pandemic, some of the businesses in the directory that we'd brought out in 2018 had closed. So we thought this year for Fair Trade Fortnight, we'd bring out the updated version. The Fair Trade directory can be picked up at the Apex, the Tourist Hub and at any of the businesses in the directory. Doggy Daycare launches Poor Some Luxury Hotel. Tails will soon be wagging as a dog daycare business in Bury St Edmunds is preparing to launch a new service offering four-legged friends a five-star boarding experience. Camp Tails Doggy Daycare, based in Eastern Way, will soon be cutting the ribbon on its new hotel which features 15 bespoke bedrooms and round-the-clock staff. Owner, John Kay, 39, said he always dreamed of expanding the business to include a dog hotel and the company's move from its smaller premise in Boulder Road proved to be the perfect opportunity. He said, It's something I've long wanted to do since opening the daycare and now that we've moved, the time felt right. It's designed and built to be a luxurious alternative to kennels. Each room has been decorated with a unique style and furnished to look like a human hotel rooms with bed, duvet, pillows, mattress and nightlight. Dogs will attend the daycare during the day and are given enrichment activities in the evening. A member of staff will be on site at all times and the dogs who have trouble settling are free to join staff for cuddles on the sofa in the communal area. For John... The launch of the hotel on April the 24th will help his business make a name for itself as the place to go for all things dog care. It will hopefully put us out there more widely and mean we can reach more people from further afield, he said. Here's another dog story. A dog who helped save 15 missing people is to retire from searching. An operational search dog who has helped rescue 15 missing people is retiring from service after eight years in the field. Diesel, a 12-year-old black Labrador, retired from the volunteer group Suffolk Lowland Search and Rescue this week after being involved in more than 200 searches. The team works with Suffolk Police to help find missing people across the county, with Diesel playing a key part in operations. The group helps search for vulnerable missing adults and children in Suffolk and surrounding counties, saving lives in the process, and won a prestigious Queen's Award in 2022. Jamie Ketteridge, Diesel's owner, said, He has played a vital role for the past eight years, and he will be missed by the police and the team, because that is now a resource we haven't got for the time being. He will still be with me because he is my pet dog and will still come on call-outs, but will sit on the sideline from now on. Diesel celebrated his retirement with a steak for dinner, Mr Ketteridge said. It can take between two and three years of specialist training to teach a dog to be ready to go out on search and rescue missions. Did you know about these seven deserted villages in Suffolk? 
Over the years, a number of settlements and villages across Suffolk have been lost or deserted. Many of them were vacated or massively reduced in size due to a changing environment. Here are seven of Suffolk's lost settlements. How many did you know? Alnsbourne. Alnsbourne was in the south-east of Ipswich, close to where Nacton is now. The name lives on in the form of Alnsbourne Priory Golf Club, which can be found just over the A14 from the Ravenwood Estate in Ipswich. Slawden. The land where the village Slawden once was is near Alborough and the Martello Tower, south of the main town. It was one of the Suffolk settlements that has been lost to coastal erosion over the years. Scotchmere. According to Suffolk-based historian Charlie Haylock, Scotchmere was located somewhere between Bury St Edmunds and Thetford. Mr Haylock believes the population of Scotchmere moved elsewhere, leaving a village without any residence. Dunnage. Almost certainly the most well-known example. Dunnage was once a thriving harbour and capital of the Kingdom of East Anglia. Dunnage has slowly been lost over the years to erosion and is now only home to a few hundred people. Chilton. Chilton still exists as a tiny hamlet on the outskirts of Sudbury, but it was once a fully-fledged village and community in its own right. According to Chilton Parish Council, it's unclear why the village was abandoned, with the Black Death and Agricultural Depression both given as possible explanations. Akethorpe, something spelled as Akethorpe, this village is believed to have been what was once part of Lowestoft. The Doomsday Book listed Akethorpe as home to four households in the hundred of Lothingland. Eastern Barrents, now considered part of the parish of Raiden near Southwold, Eastern Barrents was once its own village with a market. It still exists in name, but it is another settlement in Suffolk that has been largely lost to the sea. Berry and Bloom has been given the go-ahead to create a large floral crown structure to mark King Charles III's <laughs> coronation for the town centre. The group, which has spent around three months designing, costing and figuring out possible locations for its coronation crown, aims to site 2.7 metre high semi-circular semi structure weighing 750 kilograms in Crown Street. The fabricated crown, made from rolled steel powder coated in gold, will go in a flower bed with 15 attached hanging baskets to represent the jewels of the crown. David Irvin, retiring coordinator of Berry and Bloom, said, With an eight-week fabrication and installation programme, we needed all our docks in a row. We needed moral support as well as funding and licensing and finally structural engineers calculations and all that takes weeks and weeks. The design also includes a specially designed planting trough in white to create the ermine band which goes around the crown. Finally, the 15 square metre flower bed will be close planted with geraniums to create the effect of a red cushion edged in white. The grand floral project being created with the support of Bury St Edmunds Town Council, the Bury Society, 
West Suffolk Council and with input by Morrish Structural Engineers, received its licence from Suffolk Highway in time to allow fabrication and installation by King Charles III's Coronation Day on May the 6th. On his view of Berry and Bloom's royal project, David said, A crown on Crown Street in the jewel of Suffolk's crown has a great ring to it and we hope it will become a visitor attraction. Funds Appeal by Dental Campaigners Campaigners fighting for a better dental care in Suffolk have launched a crowdfunding appeal to raise money for a new website and publicity materials. Toothless in England, which includes Toothless in Suffolk, it decided to set up the site because its campaign had reached a point where it could no longer just rely on the goodwill of volunteers. The website would help increase the effectiveness of their campaigning, the group said. Mark Jones, the group's founder and campaign coordinator, said, This is vital funding. It's needed to develop a website which will assist us in maximising our leverage, increase the campaign's visibility and maintain pressure on the government and the Treasury to ensure that everyone can access a local NHS dentist when they need one. The campaigners have recently submitted written evidence to the House of Commons Health and Social Care Committee about the lack of NHS dental care and the impact on this on families. They've called for better funding for NHS dentistry and a renegotiated dental contract. And now we have some letters. And this one, which is headlined Pruning Waste Collection Costs, comes from Christopher G. Hudson, a county councillor in Belstead Brook. I think our district councils must consider giving our hard-working ratepayers the opportunity to pay for only six months of garden waste collection. During the winter months, the collection represents less value for money. Indeed, we need to move towards free collection again to clean up our environment. Our constituents demand and deserve a better response than to be treated as unwilling cash cows in the ongoing cost of living crisis. This letter is from Hilary Appleton of Gaisley. It's time for Matt Hancock to go, she writes. Matt Hancock... This is the man who, as Secretary of State for Health and Social Care in the Johnson government, played a major role in decisions leading to thousands of unnecessary Covid deaths. Who was involved in grotesque sums of money going to Tory cronies for PPE, test and trace, both subsequently found to be inadequate? Who clapped for nurses while voting against a modest pay rise for them? This is the man who had to resign in June 2021 after being caught out, breaking his own Covid lockdown rules. The man who resigned again after his absurd celebrity TV antics in December 22. Except that, this time, he merely said he would not stand for the Conservatives at the next general election. That's in well over one year's time. It's also in the face of Newmarket Town Council calling for him to resign as an MP. And for now... He carries on with his TV activities, his chief interest. He's set up his own new TV company, and yet he continues an independent MP, receiving his comfortable salary at the taxpayer's expense. Time for the COVID inquiry to do its work. 
time for Mac Hancock to go. This letter is from Rodney Cook in Ipswich. I read with interest Alexandra Kupriak's news feature on the dramatic rise in demand for food bank support. I suppose one would expect the Labour parliamentary candidate for Ipswich to blame everything on the Conservatives. However, in my opinion, it is Putin's war in Ukraine which has mainly triggered this crisis. The report highlights the struggle some locally are having to put food on the table, but our difficulties are nothing compared to many countries of the world. For example, in Kenya, where according to the United Nations they are experiencing the worst drought in 40 years, the cost of food has trebled since Russia invaded Ukraine. We should all be tightening our belts and helping others to get through these difficult times. Councillor David Ellesmere explains in the council tax information how he and his colleagues have worked hard to keep any council tax increase as low as possible, knowing how stretched household budgets are currently due to the cost of living pressures. In my opinion, it has not helped that the unions have been calling so many strikes, seeking large pay awards which will only increase inflation. I agree with Tom Hunt MP that bringing inflation down is a priority. Inflation helps nobody and those who are older see the real worth of their savings rapidly being eroded. Graham Day of Stowmarket writes about the famous air race. Celebrating history of a great air race, on a visit to Mildenhall about three years to carry out a social research survey, I was surprised to find that many of the streets on the Douglas Park estate I was working on were named after aircraft and famous flyers, most notably British female flyer Amy Johnson. Returning home, I soon found more information about the McRobertson Centenary Air Race from Mildenhall to Melbourne in 1934 and became hooked on the story. The race took place to mark the opening of the aerodrome at Mildenhall, and was a really novel event at a time when aero industry was developing at a fast pace. But also a shrewd marketing ploy by biscuit manufacturer Sir McPherson Robertson, whose company introduced and produced the frog-shaped Fredo biscuit bars for many years. I'm so pleased to see there is now a bespoke panel devoted to providing further information on the air race. Berry Free Press, January 24. And the next time I visit Mildenhall... I shall make sure that I also visit the museum to see the information there. My interest in this story has again been ignited, and I am immensely pleased that the West Suffolk councillors involved have taken the initiative as they are not careless of their history. Excellent and well done indeed. I wonder whether this race was the first international air race starting from British soil. If so, perhaps it could be stated on the town signs. If not, perhaps it should be referred to in some way on signage to encourage visitors to stop. This letter has come by email from Jim Mitchell and is headlined, Question is, Who is the Betrayer? In last week's Berry Free Press, a correspondent wrote in to say that the local MP was, in effect, missing in action and was only communicating with her electorate via arm's length Conservative Party leaflets. Is this really the state of politics locally, that it has descended to this? 
After 13 years of continuous Tory administrations, or should that be because of 13 years of continuous Conservative rule? Of course, the other disturbing factor in West Suffolk is the hypocrite that is still an elected Member of Parliament, namely Matthew John David Hancock, who has done great harm to politics in general and the good work undertaken by diligent, hard-working MPs of every party. Indeed, Mr Hancock's latest media spat regarding certain WhatsApp revelations with the co-writer of his recently published book, Isabel Oakeshott, who Mr Hancock has accused of a massive betrayal by leaking over a 100,000 of his private messages. Although, thought occurs to me, Mr Hancock's abandoned wife and the mother of his three children must have experienced a shared feeling concerning the meaning of massive betrayal. Fair trade, falling foul of market forces, writes Malcolm Searle from Bury St Edmunds. Bury St Edmunds claims to be a fair trade town and yet, and yet, with the announced closure of Oxfam because it is not financially viable and following the shutdown of the shop in St John's Centre, we have the classic example of principled ideals falling foul of market forces. The big supermarkets now define what fair trade is by deciding whether their goods fit within their commercial profit margins. Nevertheless, Marks and Spencers is never going to stock Zaytun products. There are other forces at work here. Charities work very well within the accepted business model, even being forced to compete with each other for income, but only when there is an expanding or buoyant economy. If donators' incomes are squeezed, then donations decrease. So, for those charities supplying vital societal needs, services and international aid, those providers have to cut back. Everyone suffers, and the most vulnerable suffer the most. All this is yet another example of political dogma altering to crass economics that cares more for profit than people. This letter from John Bailey is headlined, Brexit is past its sell-by date. I find it amazing, he says, how Brexiteers continue to make excuses for the catastrophic consequences it has imposed on our country. The likes of Messrs Smith quotes recently, give it a chance. Isn't seven years long enough for a so-called good idea to show even one single benefit? Messrs Smith Riley, etc. Your excuses are long past the sell-by date. Being deluded cannot last forever, as many have found out. Colin Rossini of Dovercourt writes, Questions about neutrality. Gary Lineker's football boot has been placed firmly on the ball in the proverbial net. In my opinion... The Tories are skewing the truth on small boats crossing the Channel and know it will not wash when it comes to legal redress. Their love of back-firing polices is well documented. But to visit this dark borders of history displays their ignorance of the past. As for BBC neutrality, why is a Tory running the corporation? Right-wing paraphernalia 
is causing more psychological damage to our once proud human rights reputation. Horrifying! Free school meals are vital, says Jessie Carter, Suffolk County Councillor for Sudbury. I am deeply concerned for children in my community of Suffolk and right across Britain. No matter what's happening in the country or the economy, no child should ever go hungry. But last year, four million children were living in households that were short of food. These households are our neighbours, our colleagues, our families. This government should be ashamed. As a counsellor, I have heard from parents affected who were working all hours possible to provide for their families but are still having to cut back and skip meals so that their children can eat and having to send their children to school with insufficient lunches is a harsh reality. As a mother, it breaks my heart to think of any child going hungry, especially when MPs have given themselves yet another pay rise. Is this really acceptable? Extending free school meals to every child in primary school is one thing the Prime Minister could do to ease the pressure on every family during these difficult times. It would ensure every child gets a healthy, hot school dinner every day. It's a no-brainer. In England, free school meals are universal up to year two. Why do we stop feeding children at school when they turn seven? Scotland and Wales are rolling this out already, as well as in Westminster in London, so why shouldn't this be across all of the UK? Children in the rest of England deserve no less. On March the 24th, the Free School Meals for All Bill is due to, be, is due to have its second reading in Parliament. I want to see every MP back this bill. We can get this done. It just takes the political will and moral clarity to do what's right. Here is a piece by the rock star Liam Gallagher who writes Let's get this banned. I'm writing in support of Henry Smith's MP's hunting trophies import prohibition bill. What century are we living in? How can we call ourselves a civilization if we think murdering animals for a laugh is okay? Trophy hunters are spoilt little brats. Haven't they got enough toys to play with? They're wiping out wildlife. Soon there'll be nothing left for them to kill. How are we going to explain that to future generations? Let's get it banned. Please ask your MP to vote for Henry Smith's MP bill on Friday, March the 17th. And now a return to general news. A construction company has joined forces with the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds to restore land for wildlife, the climate and the community at Lakenheath Fen. Morgan Sindel Group has worked with the nature conservation charity to purchase 54 hectares of land and to enable them to restore more wetlands at the 400 hectare site. The acquisition, which has unlocked further land next to the reserve, will expand the habitat for animals such as kingfishers, cranes, otters and water voles. Joe Gilbert, RSPB's Conservations Programmes Director, said, We would like to say a huge thank you to the Morgan Sindel Group. Without their support, with their support, excuse me, we will be able to return a large section of land to nature, enabling endangered species to recover and also locking away carbon to help preserve our future against the climate crisis. Lake and Heath Fen is a very special place. 
It saw the first cranes fledge in the UK for about 400 years. And we cannot wait to see what other wildlife comes to make it their home. Lakenheath Fen was made into a nature reserve by the RSPB in 1995 after arable land was re-established as reed beds and wet grassland. Now, the fen is home to a number of threatened bird species, including the previously near-extinct bittern. Graham Edgell, Director of Sustainability and Procurement at Morgan Sindel, said, We are proud to support the RSPB in protecting and restoring their land. Our partnership is part of a long-term ambition to support wildlife and environmental projects, engage our colleagues and increase our sustainability commitments in association with the UK's leading Nature Conversation charity. Arrests and seizures in crackdown on drugs gangs. Police in Suffolk arrested 53 people and seized more than a kilogram of Class A drugs during a week's worth of action against County Lines drug dealing. The arrests and seizures came as part of a County Lines Intensification Week campaign which took place between Monday, February the 27th and Sunday, March the 5th. In that time, 121.5 kgs of crack cocaine, 204 Gs of heroin and 756 Gs of cocaine were discovered in the county. A total of £15,675 in cash was also received, along with five phones believed to be connected to drug dealing. In the week of action, Suffolk Police ensured a number of vulnerable adults and children were safe and engaged with more than 1,500 adults and children as part of the County Lines Intensification Campaign. Detective Chief Inspector Matt Bodmer of Suffolk Police said, The results from this week demonstrate how various policing teams across Suffolk have come together to disrupt County Lines. We've not only made a number of arrests, we've also identified a number of vulnerable people being exploited and worked closely with our partners to provide suitable support. Blood donor greyhound Stevie finds forever home. A blood donating greyhound called Stevie, who has saved the lives of many of his four-legged friends, has found Suffolk a hostile environment for county lines to operate. The organisers of one of the region's biggest food festivals have just announced its relocation to a new venue this summer. Due to circumstances beyond their control, the Suffolk Market Events team were forced to move Taste of Sudbury to Melford Hall in 2022, which proved a huge success. With Melford Hall closed for outdoor events this year, they've had to pivot again, but say they are very happy the festival will remain in Long Melford, with the gates opening over the road at Kentwell Hall on June 17th. Supporting local producers and celebrating local food and drink has been the core focus and theme of the festival for several years, says organiser Justine Paul. It is so important and indicative of the success of the festival that we have several local businesses that support the festival and that we have enormous numbers of visitors who enjoy the festival each year.
Coming to Kentwell Hall is somewhat serendipitous, as I believe it was the venue for one of the first farmers' markets in the area over 20 years ago. A spokesperson from Kentwell Hall adds, Judith and Patrick Phillips are delighted to welcome the Taste of Sudbury Festival to Turney Park at Kentwell Hall, a worthy and valued local event in a lovely Kentwell setting. A Berry St Edmunds gin connoisseur has created a new offering named Wild Dog, affectionately named after his porky puppy to sell in his new converted horse box bar. Jasper Baker, 24, was born and raised in Berry St Edmunds and says his interest in the industry started seven years ago when he started working for Adnams. I used to do gin-making sessions with customers and I was always interested in the history. I started doing it as a hobby and taking it as friends' houses as gifts and for Christmas. After receiving positive feedback, saying his gin was worth paying for, Mr Baker decided to start scaling up his production. With so many bars in the area, he wanted to try something a little different and has just finished converting a horse box into a mobile bar. My bar might be small, but it's full of heart, said Mr Baker. After Covid, people started doing more and more outside, so it fits in perfectly as at so many different types of events. We got interested in looking at a greyhound after seeing a clip on Crufts about how much of a good pet they make. Stevie settled in very quickly, quickly found his way upstairs and tucked himself into our bed. He goes with us everywhere and is great at travelling. He is the kindest dog ever. Every person that meets him falls in love with him. He regularly donates to the Pet Blood Bank and is a complete star. Stevie donates blood for his friends in need as his breed has a blood type that can be used for most dogs. What is more, greyhounds have a very placid nature which makes them perfect to work with for these life-saving donations. Now a feature. Lion that lost its roar. Local historian, author and our guide Martin Taylor has trawled through his archive to find some of his favourite Berry St Edmunds stories from the past. Prior to the found mar- sorry, prior to the formation of Green King in eighteen eighty seven, with the amalgamation of Fred King's of St Edmunds Brewery and Edward Green's Westgate Brewery, there were several independent breweries in Berry St Edmunds. The Southgate Brewery, the Risbygate Brewery, and Saracen's Head Brewery were prominent others. The Golden Lion Brewery, at the bottom of St Andrew's Street South, was started in 1868 by publican Thomas Simmons, who had taken over a beer house at 57 Guildhall Street, which received its full licence in 1857. Thomas continued brewing until his death in 1884, when his widow Susan took over running the enterprise. A relative, James Simmons, must have purchased the brewery as the sale of it with other lots in March 1886 because in 1889, now in competition with Green King, the Golden Lion advertised its products, recommending strong seasoned ales and double stout and the fact that it was contractor to the Suffolk General Hospital. 
Unfortunately, it was unable to compete in the open market and ceased trading in 1896. Now called the Golden Lion Tap, 57 Guildhall Street, was purchased by Bishop & Co., owner of the Saracen's Head Brewery, now the Hunters Club, in 1901, finally calling time into 1907. Subsequently, the buildings on the site evolved into a forge for wheelbarrows run by the renowned local builders, the Warren Factory, the Marsham Tire Company, later National Tires, and Barker's Fish and Chip Shop, later to be called the Carlo, when owned by the Emblem family. The Malt House had an upholstery business there, GB Upholstery, and until this building was demolished in 2003 to make way for a new development, St Edmundsbury News, the clapper-boarded building fronting the St Andrews Street South was retained. A strange postscript to the Golden Lion story is that the whole site is on a slope known by locals in the past as the Bungee. This was part of medieval western defences of the town, known as Le Ditchway, a ditch and rampart which stretched across the whole length of St Andrew's Street South and North. Why, the name is a mystery. International best-selling author Kate Moss OBE is coming to the Apex in Bury St Edmunds on her first ever theatre tour with her new book, Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries, How Women Also Built the World. Celebrating nearly a thousand amazing women from history and also a detective story. Addressing this centuries-old discrepancy, Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries seeks to put women back into the history books. Mothers of invention, warrior queens and pirate commanders, women who dedicated their lives to the natural world or to medicine, engineers and explorers, lawyers and scientists, women of courage who fought for what they believed in, and the unsung heroes of stage, screen and stadium. As founder of the Women's Prize for Fiction and the Women in History campaign, Kate Moss has long championed the achievements of women in her books. Warrior Queens makes use of Kate's rich and detailed Norwich of unheard and underheard women's history and investigates how and why women's achievements have routinely been neglected or misattributed. Described as joyous, celebratory and engaging, her book and talk is for everyone. Audiences can expect a fabulous evening of entertainment with storytelling, music and images as we meet those who fought for what they believed in and those who reached for the stars. It's basically a really great night out, night out at the theatre. It's for everybody. It's for girls and boys, men and women, dads and their daughters, mums and their sons, friends and neighbours. There will be music, props, a proper set, pictures and me, explained Kate. During the course of the show, as well as plenty of fun facts and did-you-knows, I'll tell the life stories of some of the most interesting, most inspiring, most astonishing women from the book, from Joan of Arc and Mary Seacole to Florence Nightingale and Agatha Christie, from Mongolian Princess Kutlan to Rosa Parks, from the notorious 18th century pirates Anne Bonny and Mary Reed to Beatrix Potter and the legendary English footballer Lily Parr. 
Some of the stories are tragic. Some are hilarious. And some make you gasp out loud because you can't quite believe it. My choices are inspired both by stories that are the most fun to share and at the same time as trying to give a flavour of all the different types of characters in the book. But I want people to come out of the theatre just going, oh my God, I never knew that. And Kate Moss's show is on Tuesday, April the 4th at the Apex in Bury St Edmunds. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Christian, Roger, Adrian and Mary, it's goodbye. Podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St. Edmunds studio. Thank you.